when they were practicing this morning and getting all the mics set and their levels. And Pastor Toman mentioned to one of them, he said, he said, you're the missing cog, he said to one of the men as they were going through it. And I asked him, I said, what do you, what do you know, what's your name? You know, is it the cogs, you know, the four cogs? And Pastor Thomas said, no, it's PT and the ushers. That's their name. Anyway, I thought it was I thought it was funny. First Corinthians, would you turn there? First Corinthians chapter 13. We were in chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago, and we were in Romans chapter 12 last week. We are considering uh, our this assembly. Uh, of believers, a church is defined by the Bible as a called out assembly of born again believers. That's how the Bible would define. That's how we understand what a church is. On Friday, I was, uh, I participated to some degree in a funeral and, uh, just being a presence there as a chaplain, along with some other men who are part of the Flint Township Police Department. And there were police officers from all over the state of Michigan who were at that funeral. I did not officiate the funeral. It was held downtown Flint in a beautiful old church building. But A church is not beautiful because of its building. Because the building is not the church. The building is not the church. The property is not the church. Programs are not the church. Finances are not the church. The church is this group of people who are assembled. So... And the question we're asking is, are, are we functioning as church members in a way that would be pleasing to God, that would be honoring to God, in a way that God would look at us and say, that person is doing, is functioning as I have created them to function. I think if I were to ask you, do you want to please the Lord? I think the resounding answer in this room would be yes. In large part, that's why we're here today. We want to please the Lord. We want to learn more of, of him, about him, who he is and And his word reveals who we are. And so we've been learning that a biblical church member is a necessary part of the body of Christ, the local church. Every member is a necessary part of the body. And every uh, member has a different function. Every Every member has a different function. A couple of weeks ago, one of the deacons said to me, he said, I think I might be a callus on the big toe. He thought that might be his spiritual gift. I don't know. Um. But we're all different members of the body, right? Um, we had the roller skating, we had the roller skating event uh, last Saturday, and at the end of the very end of two hours of agony, I mean roller skating, uh, they did the limbo. Uh, isn't that right? That's what they did. They bring the stick out, and then we all see how low we can go on roller skates. It's just a bad idea, you know. And uh, and of course, I'm out there and. Sage was out there and these little cuties, you know, and and they can they just bend over and roll underneath, you know, and then there I come along 
So one leg goes this way and one leg goes that way as far as I can go. It's just, and that's all I need to tell you. It was just a bad idea. You know, people got their cameras out, you know, smiling. Just a bad idea. But that's the problem when members are going in different directions. I had one foot one way, the other foot the other way. It was just a bad. And that's true for a church, too. It can be painful, humiliating, embarrassing. You know, that was just me doing the limbo, let alone a church when members going in the different directions. And so we learned that church, church members need to work together with other members. We need to be in sync. Uh, just last week, we saw how we can find our role within the body of Christ. And we find our role within the body of Christ as we humbly consider who we are. Okay, and that's what we've been doing. I hope you join us this afternoon. Right after lunch, we'll have a one o'clock service. You don't even have to leave. We've got restrooms. We've got everything you need. One o'clock service. I'm going to give out a spiritual gifts test to everybody. It's not going to be graded, but um, you'll need a pen or a pencil, something to write with. We'll take some time to do that. And then I will go over the spiritual gifts. And I have a handout for you to take home with you to ponder these things. Next week, we'll do a second part to that series on Sunday evening. But you won't want to miss it this afternoon. If you're trying to find your place in the body of Christ and you're trying to understand what is my spiritual gift? Am I the callus on the big toe? You know, am I the hand? Am I, am I an ear? Or a foot. You know, what is what is it that God has designed me and gifted me to accomplish within the body of Christ? And uh, we're going to be looking at scripture this afternoon about that. So I hope you'll join us for that. But we need to function together and we need to work together. We need to humbly consider who we really are. We need to desire the unity that God has ordained for his church. We need to desire. God desires unity within the church. Do, do I? He desires it. Do I desire it? Do you desire it? Is it important to us? And so we saw that we need to be desiring of it. And then we need to accept the diversity of the church. And that's so good. And it was so wonderful. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God telling us, using the analogy does the hand say, or does the foot say to the hand, I don't need you? And, and no, it doesn't say that. The foot needs the hand, and the hand needs the foot, right? The, the mind needs the hands and the feet and the kneecaps and the tendons, right? We, all parts of the body, whether they are visible, out front, open to be seen, beautiful, or whether there are internal organs, those are even more needful than what can be seen. The eye may be beautiful, the eyes may be beautiful, but boy, I'm really glad for my heart, aren't you? The eyes aren't worth much without a heart. And uh, so what part of the body are you? Now, it's, it's wonderful to me as we, we've come through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, we see that this analogy of the body of Christ... But then we come to chapter 13, and it's the logical flow. God is actually going to give us this understanding and revelation that love is the central attitude 
It should be the central attitude and it should be the central action of every single member. So if you are the callous, you need to be a loving callous. Okay? If you are a hand, you need to be a loving hand or a foot. Like, well, I'm a foot. I'm from running and kicking. No, no. You need to be a loving foot. Okay? This is using the analogy of Scripture. So a biblical church member is a necessary part of Christ's body. It has different functions than other members. It needs to work together with other members. But what is the motivation? Why, why do you serve? Why do you sing in the choir? Why, why preach the word of God? Why study it and teach it in Sunday school? Why do you work in the kitchen? And many of you do, and some of you who do are there now getting ready for lunch for the rest of us. Why, why do you do these things? So tonight, this evening, we'll find out, or this afternoon, we'll find out what your spiritual gift is. But then why? And this is so important. Why, why do you serve? What motivates you? And let's look at the passage. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. I'm going to read the whole passage. We're not going to preach through it today. We don't have time. But look at verse 1. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity... I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, that was an interim gift that he's talking about here, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, another interim gift, they shall fail. Whether there be, or they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known, as also I am known. Now look at verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these, faith, hope, and charity, he says, is charity. Charity, sacrificial love, never fails. 
What is our motivation for serving the Lord? For exercising our spiritual gifts? There are a lot of benefits for it, but what should be the driving motivation within me for why I serve the Lord? And the answer is the love of God in me and the love of God in you. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father, help us now, I pray. We look at these as we look at these first three verses of this wonderful passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray as you have gifted Trinity Baptist Church immensely, marvelously, you have, you have given gifts to these people under the sound of my voice who are, who are your children, and they are valuable gifts, necessary gifts, important gifts, needed gifts for this church to be what you want us to be. And yet, Father, help us to know that without love, that really all our spiritual gifts amount to nothing. So, Father, I pray that Trinity Baptist Church would be characterized by the love of God. May that be true, and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So a biblical church member is a member that loves are you a member that loves? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love the family of God? Uh, hold your place in 1 Corinthians. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 13 for just a moment. John 13, and I'll read beginning in verse 31. John 13, verse 31. This is not a, a something new, this idea of love. We know that God is love. John 13 and verse 31, Jesus was with his disciples and he says in verse 31 of John 13, he says, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also be glorified or shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. And so now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. So there a commandment to his apostles, love one another the same way that I have loved you. And think about how Christ loved us and how Christ loved them. Did his apostles love one another or were they bickering with one another about who could sit at his right hand someday? Who would have the place of preeminence and honor and glory? And Jesus is teaching them. He's trying, trying to drive this truth home to them and help them understand this. Love one another as I have loved you. Um, he says, see that ye love one another. Look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that would be saved and unsaved alike, religious and non-religious, churched and unchurched. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. The word disciple has the idea of a learner or a follower of Christ. Many of us here this morning would say, Pastor Seth, I am a follower of Christ. I love him. I love him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I don't always please him. I don't always measure up, but he is my Savior. 
and I love him and I am his follower. And to us who would say that, we read this passage and we learn from his words that for other men to know that we are followers of Christ, they will know that if we have love one to another. How many of us want our community to know that we know the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of us want our community to know that or our neighbors to know that? How many of us want how many of us want our children? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us want our children to know that dad is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of us want that? And, the, and, and how do we get that? Well, we get that by loving one another. When our children see that we love sacrificially the body of Christ, you know what they learn by that? They learn that dad is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through our knowledge that they know that we are disciples of Christ because we have great knowledge or we are very talented or we're very smart or we're very uh, uh, analytical or we, we can out argue other people or we're always right. That's not how our children know that we are followers of Lord Jesus Christ. They know whether or not we are true disciples of Jesus Christ by how we love the body of Christ. That's how they know. So Jesus tells his disciples that they'll know we're followers of him by how we love one another. You know, most people who have a working knowledge of the Bible understand or were under the impression that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is known as the love chapter. The love chapter in the Bible. And the love chapter is often used for counseling, premarital counseling or postmarital counseling. Um, it's used to describe, I've heard it used to describe different things to highlight love, Valentine's weekend. Um, and, and it's a tremendous description of love. It really is a description of Christ, really what it is. But the context is chapter 13 follows chapter 12. Chapter 12 is about the body of Christ. Chapter 12 is about you're a member. How are you functioning? Do you know your spiritual gift? Are you functioning within the body of Christ? Or are you that foot that's saying, I don't need the hand, or I don't need the rest of the body. I'm, I'm good by my I'm better off by myself. And in that context of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, now we come to chapter 13, and he's telling us how a church can be a church that pleases the Lord, that's well pleasing to the Lord. A church that is in tune with its head, which is the, our head is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body and we are the body. And so are we as the body in tune with the head of the body? And in Christ is love. God is love. So is your membership in the church characterized by love? I want you to I want to consider for just a moment before I give you three simple truths and those will not take long today, but. I want you to consider with me the essence of love. Look again at verse 1. I'll read down through verse 3. And here you see the essence of love, what it is and what it is not. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, 
I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So I'm just making a lot of noise. I can be eloquent, but I'm just making a lot of noise if if I don't have love. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. I mean, this is incredible, right? The faith enough to move a mountain and have not charity, I am nothing. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, is it good to be giving, yes or no? Well, of course. And though I give my body to be burned, I'm willing to make personal sacrifice. And he says, and if I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So what is the essence of love? The Greeks, in the New Testament, it was penned down in Greek. And that's why... You hear me refer to the Greek language from time to time, but the Greeks had a different words for love. And there were several different words for love that they would use in their writings. By the word, the word agape, which might be the Greek word you are most familiar with, is predominantly found only in the New Testament. It's almost as if it, it, it I'm going to say nearly, it nearly did, it's almost like it didn't exist outside of Scripture. So it's a word that is connected with God, specifically with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's otherworldly. Agape kind of love is not of this world. And that is what that is the Greek word that is found predominantly in the New Testament. Over 200 times that word is found. And we are being told over and over and over again, love, agape, love like God, love like Christ. Okay. There are other Greek words that the Greeks had and used. Um, phileo is another Greek word found in, used in the New Testament. Storge is another, and eros. Neither storge nor eros are found in the New Testament at all. Storge is the love between parents and children, or people and their leaders. And even the Greeks would use the, the, the word storge, love, uh, in reference to an animal, a dog, and its owner. Okay, so I have a dog. Anyway, I'm not sure if I can use the word love and Gus in the same sentence. But anyway, we have a dog. Um, no, I, I do. It's funny, I joke about him like that, but my dad will tell me, he'll say, you love your dog. And he's needling me, and it's I, maybe I storgate Gus anyway. All right. Um, Another word found in the New Testament, or not found in the New Testament, but the Greeks would use is the word eros. And it's the love between a husband and wife. It's the love that they have when they embrace. They hold each other. It's that eros. It's that kind of love. Um, It even could refer to sexual ecstasy between a husband and wife. And this is not a word that's found in in the New Testament, but the Greeks used it, had the idea of, embracing and longing for one another and and caring for one another. Phileo is one of the Greek words used for love in the New Testament, and it's an emotional love, it's an affection, it's a fondness. And you remember Jesus Christ asking Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. I don't know that I can say to you, Lord, I agape you. He had just forsaken the Lord. He had just denied the Lord three times while Jesus had, having been betrayed, was being falsely accused and tried. And P- 
Peter was outside around the fire and he had denied Christ three times. And, and Jesus says he's restoring Peter. He says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. I have a fondness for you. I have affection for you. And later on, Jesus says, in essence, do you even phileo me, Peter? And Jesus was restoring Peter. He's restoring Peter to the ministry. And so phileo has that idea of a fondness. It occurs 54 times, I believe, in the New Testament. And then you have agape, right? The act of one's will, the choosing to love. God so loved the world, a world that loved him, right, first, a world that respected him, right, a world that uh, humbly and sweetly submitted to him and worshipped him, right, no, a world that hated him. Think of that. I mean, this idea of God loving the world is familiar to this group of people But I think sometimes we fail to consider the kind of people God was loving. Not just people who were helplessly lost in sin. It almost sounds like we were accidentally there. You know, we wouldn't have chosen it, but it just kind of happened. No, we would have chosen to rebel against God. We loved our sin, the Bible tells us. We were aliens from God, willfully, by wicked works, we were willfully choosing to live in sin, and we loved it there, and we wanted, that's all we were, were sinners. There was nothing in us that was good. Romans tells us that. And so agape has the idea, and it's really personified in the Lord Jesus Christ, it it could be described like this, God giving all of his love to us. Isn't that wonderful? God giving all of his love to us. God loving us entirely. In all that we were. God loving us. And so agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That's how we know what love is. This kind of love. 1 John 4.10 says it this way. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's agape love. We didn't love him, but he loved me. He chose me. That is agape love. Now, for a husband and wife, have you ever, have you ever in your marriage found yourself not being loved by your spouse? You don't have to speak out loud about it. Have you ever not loved your spouse? Or maybe loved yourself more than you loved her or him. And we are to love one another in our marriages, our husbands, our wives. And and, and we're to love our husbands and wives with agape love. That is a choice. It's a choosing to do so. So here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation, old English word, it means a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. So agape is not a form of natural affection. And I want you to know that this morning. In this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, we're being told to love one another. We're we're being told point blank that all of our spiritual gifts amount to nothing without a sacrificial love for one another. 
And so, you know what I, what we all need to do, and I'm um, being sarcastic here, let's all go find a church full of perfect people that love us the way that we deserve to be loved, and then we will love them in return. But here's the thing, there's nothing unnatural about that. that that's natural love. That's not agape love. To love someone who loves me is completely understandable. To love someone who thinks I'm wonderful, the best thing in the world, to love somebody who thinks I'm amazing, that's natural. Who doesn't love people? What kind of a person doesn't love people who love them? Christ is telling us, love the people who don't love you. Love the people who don't appreciate you. Love the people who don't worship you. So agape is not a a form of natural affection, however intense that may be. Agape love is a supernatural fruit of the Spirit of Christ who lives inside of us. It's a matter of the will and not how we feel. Christians choose Christians, Christ's followers, little Christ, choose to love those they dislike and who dislike them. We choose to love those people who have offended us. Look look to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Very important. Matthew 5. I want you to read this with me. I'll read it aloud. Matthew 5. Look with me, if you would, at verse 43, Matthew 5 and verse 43. Again, Jesus is speaking here. I'll read down through verse 48. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Did you hear that? If we love people who love us, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. For you and me to love people who think we're awesome, should we be rewarded for that? He says, what reward have you? And then he says this, look at the end of verse 46. Do not even the publicans the same. The the tax collectors, the dishonest, dishonest, unsaved tax collectors love like that. People who love them, they love them. It's just this is this is completely natural. Verse 47. And if he salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? So if you just greet the people who care for you, what's the big deal? Do not even the publican so. Look at verse 48, and here's the context. Here's his point. Be ye therefore perfect or complete is the idea, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And the context here is is love. 
Love those. Love your enemies. That's what he says. Do good to them. You can turn back to 1 Corinthians 13. So agape love is the highest level of spiritual love there is. And it is a love that chooses to give itself for the sake of another. Not necessarily someone who appreciates you. And when we boil down love, what are we left with? Now look, let's look at our text in three simple truths very quickly this morning. Number one. Words without love are empty. Words without love are empty. Now, I hope you told, I hope you tell people you love, you love them. I hope you do. Um, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? Right? Yes? Okay, good. So, I hope you communicate your love for those you love. Uh, Look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, have not this sacrificial love, this act of the will, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Love is not found in words. Love is not found in words. It's possible for us to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if, if there's not a genuine sacrificial love and a choice, an act of the will, choosing to love someone. If God just said in his word, I love you, but I'm not willing to give my son to die for you, to save you. What kind of love is that? We know herein is love, he tells us. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son. Okay. And to pay that sacrificial price, to be the propitiation for our sins. And Paul's using this metaphor in verse 1 of sounding brass, he says, or a tinkling cymbal. In the uh, in, in that part of the world in those days, if you went shopping, uh, of course it was an open air market, and they would have musicians there. They would be playing instruments. And, uh, and we do that today, don't we? If you go into a store... Waiting for Amazon to do that on their app, you know, just plays music, you know, to keep you there longer and help you buy more. Um, but but in stores, if you go into Macy's or uh, right or JCPenney's or wherever or even Walmart, I don't know if they do that in Walmart. Um, I haven't been there in, in a while, thankfully. Anyway, so if you're in a store, they're playing music, right? And they did it in those days as well. And it was this background music, and it provided this festive atmosphere for the people who were shopping. And it was a, all a part of the experience. And it was the sound of commercialism and salesmanship at work. And Paul's point is that without love, what we say has no more credibility than a salesman at a bazaar. And he's got his tiny oriental music jangling in the background. And the Corinthian church was at this time focused on these interim gifts. Well, all I want is the gift of tongues. I want the gift of tongues. And I want the gift of prophecy. And I want the gift of faith. And I want the gift of healing. And I want these gifts. And I want gifts that are spectacular and amazing. When I come to church, you know, oh, good, church can start now because the one with the gift of tongues has arrived. Please come and and. And Paul's saying, you may have these gifts, but if you don't have charity, 
If you're not choosing sacrificially to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's just some background music and it has no purpose. Love is not found in words. Number two, love is not found in wisdom. Love is not found in wisdom. Look at verse two. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, this is wisdom, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so this is spiritual. This was good. This was part of the interim gifts of the church of First of Corinthians, of the Corinth there. He says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, that's amazing faith, and have not charity, I am nothing. Love is not found in wisdom. We have, there are many people within this congregation who, are, who have much wisdom. You, you understand scripture. You have spent your life reading it and studying it and learning it and pondering it. And you filter what is going on in our world and, and, and uh, things that you're going through in your own life. Through the, you pass that through the filter of the word of God and you love the truth and you love the word of God. And that is wonderful. But if it, if it does not have love, he says, I am nothing. He's talking about these interim gifts of prophecy and a church member who could understand all spiritual mysteries and have this gift of knowledge and understand the things of God. If they're not exercised in love, he and his ministry would be as nothing. In fact, when we don't have love, when we're choosing not to love one another, it actually we can do damage to the church. We actually can hurt the body of Christ if we're not choosing to love one another. Um, I'll give you a third truth from our passage, verse 3. He says uh, in verse 1, words without love are empty. Number 2, wisdom without love uh, is empty. And number 3, works without love are empty. Or love is not found in works. Look at verse 3. He says there, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Do you know anybody who's ever done that? Given everything they have. To take care of the needy. And though I give my body to be burned. In other words, I'm willing to die for the Lord. That's what he's saying. A person, a believer who's willing to die for the Lord. And have not charity. It profiteth me nothing. You see, even if a church member goes through the motions of charity. And giving all he has to feed the needy. If he doesn't have a heart and a motive of true love, then those actions amount to nothing. And again, I ask you, what is your motivation for serving the Lord? Do you love him? By the way, parents, we can teach our children to love the Lord. By example, we can lead them. We can be an example of how to love the Lord and how to love his body. It's not that we worship the body of Christ. We don't worship the church. We worship the Lord. We do not worship the church. But we recognize that the local church is the body of Christ, meant by God to represent him, enabled by God to represent him, necessary for our personal growth. It humbles us. It humiliates us sometimes. It, uh, sometimes our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ even can offend us at, at times. 
And yet we choose to love. We choose to love because we're told to love. Or even if a person here is surrendering to be burned at the stake as a religious work without godly love, the advantage was nothing. And Paul's point is he's making is that serving God or serving a man without a heart of love is empty and hollow and vain. And this was a part of the problem of the church at Corinth. And so as we draw to a conclusion this morning, is your membership characterized by love? Do you love the body of Christ? Do you value it? I mean, there are a lot of things in life that I think I could even say I love. There are things I love. I love riding my motorcycle. I do. I love it. The acceleration. It's exciting. I love riding. Um, I've already confessed my Storge love for Gus. Okay, so there's that. That's out me open too. Um, you know, I love summers. I love beautiful 72 degree days. You know, big puffy clouds. I, I, there are elements of hunting that I love, and there are elements of golf that I love. I love my family. I love my children. I love my wife. There are a lot of things that we can say we love. But are we choosing sacrificially to love the body of Christ? And what I'm challenging you with this morning is, as we look this afternoon at find your spiritual gift. Um, consider what ways God has blessed you with. Maybe outside of even spiritual gifts. Um, with ability or time or wisdom. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve him with gladness. But love should be the underlying motivation. You know that God teaches us to love one another. First Thessalonians 4, 9 says, ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. He actually teaches us. And to some degree, as Paul wrote to that church, I have no need to teach this to you. Because God himself is teaching you to love. He's leading you to love one another. Don't resist him. We got some teenagers here. If you're a born-again child of God, God himself is teaching you and leading you to love your church family sacrificially. Not just your fellow teenagers, but grandpas and grandmas throughout the church. And, and moms and dads and younger children. He's, God is leading you to love one another. The father taught us to love by sending his son. In 1 John 4, 19, it says we love him because he first loved us. And the father has taught us to love. Jesus taught us to love by giving us, giving his life for us and commanding us to love. As I read from John 13 earlier this morning, the Holy Spirit teaches us to love by pouring out God's love in our hearts. Romans 5 and verse 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I mean, God is moving us to love. And there's the flesh. That's saying, you know what? I don't have time for that. No, they're not my age. They don't. We don't have the same things in common. You know, they like this and I like this. I, God is leading you to love. And if you've been a part of a church for any length of time in your life, you've had to overcome offenses. You've had to overcome differences. You've had to choose to say yes to the spirit of Christ living inside of you and leading you to love. And here's what I want you to get. If you get nothing else this morning, get this. As we think about membership, your, your role within the body, 
spiritual gifts, your abilities, talents, time, um, how you're serving the Lord. And some of you have approached me over the last couple of weeks and said, Pastor, is there anything that I can do? Some of you have gone to other people and said, hey, is there a class I can teach? And there are needs, there are opportunities to serve the Lord. And I believe the answers and the provision for those needs are right in this room. So you be in tune with this, the leading of the Spirit of God in your heart. But at the heart of your service should be love. That's the motivation. When you come to choir practice, you come because you love the Lord. And you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not because you have to. When you, when you come to mow on a hot summer day when the grass is all but dead, but there's just those ridiculous dandelions standing up all over the field, so you can inhale them as you mow. And nobody else from the church is here doing it. It's just you and two other men. And after it's all done, the dandelions, you've knocked the heads off, and then they stick back up like this, you know, and wave at you. What is the motivation? It's to love your brothers and sisters in Christ and to love your God. That is the motivation. And I'm telling you, and we're going to do a series on Sunday nights coming up about uh, rewards in heaven for service today. The heart of your service, Trinity, needs to be love. Love the Lord and love one another. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close, close your eyes this morning. I'm going to ask that no one look around for just a few moments. How many of you would say with uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, God has saved me by his son, and I am forgiven of my sins, and I praise God that I am a child of God. If that's you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand this morning that I could see?